You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, a weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht, myself, and Benjamin Pieske, designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today, I'm talking with Alan Bedding about leadership, what it means, how we build it, and how it will help us shapes the future of statistics. So stay tuned and now some music. Leadership, leadership, leadership. It's a common topic and I really enjoyed this discussion with Alan Bedding, who's an absolute expert in leadership as well. Leadership coaching um, has a lot of experience and is also a stellar um, methodological statistician uh, leading the methods group at Roche. So stay tuned for this incredible discussion. There are a lot of books we are talking about. Check out the um, blog that corresponds to this episode to learn about all these. I can recommend all of them. There's one other thing that I can recommend. And that is our Winning with Words and Crafts Masterclass, in which you can learn to present effectively all your data. It includes both presentation skills and data visualization skills. Check out our homepage, The Effective Statistician, look for the courses that we offer and sign up one for these slots. Um, they're available all the time and they really help you to become master presenter. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the ever-growing video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more. And by the way, this week is the last week that you can submit an abstract for the PSI conference. So check out the homepage. It's a really, really good opportunity to get yourself out there. And an abstract gives you a reduced price for the conference. It gives you a good argument to go to the conference in London in June next year. So check that out. Just head over to psiweb.org where you can find all the information. Welcome to another episode. Today I'm speaking with Ellen. How are you doing? Good morning, Alexander. Yes, I'm, I'm very good, thank you. It's, it's sunny here in the UK and so we're enjoying the hot weather. Yeah, awesome. And today we are talking again about one of my favorite topics, which is leadership. And I know Ellen is also really into this topic. For the who don't know you, um, maybe you can quickly give an intro of yourself and what got you interested in, in leadership as a statistician? Great question. Uh, quick intro into myself. Yeah, I'm Alan Bedding. I am the Global Head of Methods Collaborations and Outreach at Roche been in the industry for well over 30 years and uh, recently joined the, the PSI Board of Directors again. It's my third time on the PSI Board of Directors. Um, so what got me interested in leadership? I became a leader 
well, we're, we're all leaders, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that anyway. But I became a, an official leader of people about 20 years ago. And to improve my craft as a leader, I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to do some reading. And I've done an awful lot of reading on leadership books. But my philosophy is is an interesting one, and we, we can talk about a little bit about that. But uh, that's really what got me into leadership. I wanted to become a better leader. So I did the research, did the reflections on, on being a better leader. And by the way, I'm also quite nervous about this guy. I'm aware that the effective statistician runs a leadership course with yourself and Gary. So I'm a little bit nervous about how am I going to con- contradict what you're teaching in that? <laughs> you know, there's, there's usually quite a lot of learning from having a healthy, healthy debate about things. So even if we disagree, there, there will be surely, surely some learning. So, so don't worry about this. I love the point that you learned a lot from books. I just recently talked with Gary about exactly this topic, uh, that all leaders are readers, because there is there's so much knowledge and skills you can gain from, from books. Of course, also from other sources, like observing others, getting formal training, like our leadership program, doing going to, you know, a half-day course or whatever. There's, there's lots of, lots of opportunities. But books are just a really, really nice way to learn from outstanding people that you'll probably never have the opportunity to talk to directly. Absolutely. And, and actually, quite interestingly, there was a Harvard Business Review quite recently. You talk about training and books. And they, they talk about the, the 70% which you learn on the job. Uh, 70%, the, the 20%, which you learn from other people, and the 10% you learn on, on formal training. They're reinventing this and saying how we can bring these together. And what they're saying is what you learn in a course or from a book, you should then go and be experiential and try some of those things. But not only that, reflect on it. Reflect on it, not with yourself. And this is what I'm going to come to one of my second my second profession, which is which is coaching. Reflect on it with a professional coach. Do some deep introspection. You know, what could I have done better? What could I have done differently? How did that work? Get that sort of feedback from all of those experiments that you're, 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 you're trying to do. So, yeah, no, book, books are great. There's a lot of books out there uh, on leadership. Some are better than others. But the, one, the ones I find are, are really interesting are those uh, written by the military. And we all think of the military as command and control. Actually... The military is, is more inspiring and trusting. And I, I, I want to talk a little bit about trust. Uh, and one of the great quotes from a, a military leader a few years ago, Rear Admiral Grace Hopper, who, who actually was a data scientist, but she said, you lead people, you manage things. And she qualifies that by saying, have you ever tried to manage soldiers into battle? And if you think about that, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And I love that quote. And I think that's a, a really important quote when people want to think, well, what is the difference between leadership and management? Yeah, there's actually, if you look back in history, it's leadership by objectives, leadership by setting goals was first, first invented on the military side, not on the business side. Yeah. There is, I had a, an author of a, of a book on, on this topic on my podcast a couple of years ago, and I'm just blanking on the name, which, which is a shame. But he talked about the 
how the German army in the 19th century first invest kind of started with that. Yeah, they were seeing that it doesn't make a lot of sense to tell people you do first this, then that, then that, then that. Because in reality, you can't, can never foresee what actually will happen. Yeah, you can't say, well, take this road, then turn left, take this road, then turn right, take this road. What happens if the road is blocked, you're stuck? Yeah, exactly. So, so it's much more effective to say you need to be at this location at this time with that material. And it's a good point as well, because if you instruct people about what to do, you know, the, the, the old adage, you give a man a fish, you, you feed him for a day, teach him how to fish, you, you feed him for a lifetime. And that's all about learning. It's about learning. It's like you said, if, if, the, if you give people directions and the road is blocked, they need to learn, well, where do I go next? I've got a direction to go in, and that's very important. You know, this is my vision. I want to be here. If the road's blocked there, then, then what else do I do? Well, well, I could go back. I could have a different route. I can maybe get out of my car and walk there. Or you know, there's, there's various different aspects, but it's all about that, that process of learning. And you don't learn by somebody telling you exactly what to do. Stephen, Stephen Covey writes about the seven habits. The first habit is to be proactive. And somebody telling you something of what to do is not being proactive. It's all about finding out for yourself and, and just getting that feedback uh, from there. And I, I think that that's how as leaders, we develop our people. One of the most important things for, for as a leader is, is to develop the, the, the team we have. It, it's not necessarily to, to achieve the results. Yes, you've got to achieve the results. But if you have a, a, a team that's, that trusts you and you trust them, then it, it moves and it moves the, 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 it moves the bar and you, you, you achieve the results. You achieve the results without actually instructing people how to achieve the results. Yeah, I love that you mentioned the, the seven habits. One of the other ones is there always start with the end in mind. Yeah. And that is the same thing that we just talked about. It's kind of, what do you really want to achieve here? Why is that important? What's the background for it? What are the, you know, consequences for it? And, um, this is so important in our world. Yeah. It's not just give someone a task and say, Oh, could you please, don't know, provide this table? Why is that important? W what will you do with it? Because there will always be kind of things like, oh, no, I need to program this table. And what happens if there's something weird in the data? Should I tell the other person that requested the table about it? Does it even matter or not? Yeah. And I'm gonna, that brings me back. You mentioned the why. That brings me back to another one of my favorite authors, uh, Simon Sinek, who has written the book. You'd start with why. Yeah. And, and that's everything we should be doing particularly as leaders, we should start with the why. Why is this important? Why is this what we're doing? Because unless you've got that, that real why, the how and the what do not follow. You have to start with that why. Why do we, why do we exist in the first place? You know, as, as a leader, why is my team here? And starting with that why, it, it's like you said, you know, if you give somebody a task to, well, here's a table, 
where's that going? What's that going to contribute to? What's that important? And you're right in what we do as statisticians is we, we often, we, we should start with that why. We should often start with that why. Why are we, it's, it's that research question that when we, when we look at a, a project or, or a study, we, we, we always say, well, why are we doing this? What are you, at the end of the study, what are you going to get out of that study? You know, start with the demand. What's Why are we doing this study in the first place? Completely agree. And if you're not clear about that, ask for it. Yeah, I was once in a discussion where there was this, oh, we need to derive this probability of success of this head-to-head study, yeah, comparing to active treatments, you know. And there were these absurdly high uh, success criteria. They were basically so high that, well, you will only run the study if you're 100% sure that it works, yeah? So it was kind of... You only run the study when you actually don't need the study. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, so I said, but where is this coming from? Why? Yeah. Why do we have these criteria? Yeah. Unfortunately, the statisticians I was working with said, oh, oh, oh these were just given to us. But let's let's do our kind of Bayesian analysis and all these kind of different things. Yeah. And they spent, you know, don't know how many weeks on simulating and all doing all kind of different things. And I think it was just, you know, wasted effort, wasted time, because we didn't even make the effort to go to the original people that asked for the study and set, set these criteria to have a discussion about what do you really want to achieve with it? Why are these criteria so, you know, enormously high? Yeah. It comes down to what is your scientific question? What's the scientific question you're trying to answer here? And without that, you you cannot design a trial. You cannot do the analysis. You can't do anything without that that fundamental question. And, and, And we're all taught as statisticians to start with hypothesis. That's exactly what we're doing when we when we, we formulate the question we're trying to answer. Yeah, I would get, maybe go even further than just the scientific question. I would also say, what's the commercial background to it? Yeah. So, so if we move forward with the development of this program, what's at stake here? The study, for example, was actually not so much for, for regulatory approval. That was more for post-regulatory approval work. And there, of course, what, what will you gain from that uh, study if it's positive? What will you lose when it's not positive? And what does it actually mean, not positive? Yeah. Yeah. And again, we, we come back to the, the begin with the end in mind. Yeah. Begin everything with the end in mind. Yeah, this podcast is called The Effective Statistician. You can maybe add the seven habits of effective statisticians in there somewhere. Yeah, for sure. Let's go a little bit more more fundamental and deeper on the leadership topic. What is leadership for you personally? It, it's a great question, and I, you know, my I, I talked about leading people, and and I think everybody's a leader, by the way, because if you take the old adage that you lead people, the one person that you've got to lead is yourself. Mm-hmm. 
So leadership to me, it's all about inspiring people and trusting trusting and inspiring people. And, and we mentioned Stephen Covey, his son, Stephen M.R. Covey, uh, has written a book called Trust and Inspire, which as leaders, that's what we should be doing. We should be trusting people and we should be inspiring people, not motivating, but inspiring them. Motivation implies I'm going to tell you a better way of doing this, or I'm going to, I'm going to give you something, or I'm going to push, I'm going to give you a stick that's going to motivate you more. Uh, so that to me is what a, a, lead, a leader should be inspiring. You, you, should, you, you should have your team look up to a leader. There's the several ways that, that we can do that. You know, we, we, as I mentioned trust. The other way is evangelizing people, uh, evangelizing your team. They do something brilliant. Tell people about it. Tell people about what, what's going on. You want to create that, that sense that they, they look to you and they say, oh, yeah, if I do something good, that, that person then re- rewards me. There's a, there's a flip side of this, and, and this is where some of the leaders fall down, is, is if things go wrong, as a leader, you should own those mistakes. You should be owning those mistakes. You should be taking, or, or taking the, the flack for any of those mistakes that, that happen. But if things good happen, pass it up and down. Pass it up to the management, but also pass it up to, um, to the people down below. You know, praise people. It, it's, it's, it's one of those fundamental things that we should do as leaders. The other aspect of leader and the um, former Navy SEAL Jocko Willink has written, written a great book called uh, Leadership and Strategy. And it's uh, one of the things he says there is leadership is all about creating relationships. Uh, once you start creating those relationships with people, you, you start to trust people. The bigger, the, the greater those relationships, the greater the circle of influence. The more you are as a leader, the more influential you are as a leader. That's a long answer to a, a very short question, but you can get some of the ideas that, that are in there. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of different things I can <laughs> I could expand, uh, expand on. See, that's by the way, there's another copy book, and I don't know who of the copy wrote it. That, that's called uh, The Speed of Trust. Yeah, that talks. Stephen M. R. Covey, that was his first book. Of, yeah. of, of... That is, speaks why. Investing in trust is so helpful because then everything moves faster, smoother, and trust is better quality. And trust is really kind of, yeah, that is a fundament of any relationship. There's, uh, I talked earlier in this podcast, some other episode, I don't remember about, there's basically three sources of power or influence. There is the, the role power that you have. Yeah. The kind of, what we mentioned earlier, the co- command and control, you know, the power that you have by your, your title, so to say. There is the expertise power that people will do what you say because you have the expertise, yeah, which we, I think, as statisticians quite often use. And then there's a third part. This is a relationship power that you mentioned. And honestly, this is the one that you should use most of the time because it is most effective it strengthens relationships and it really works if you're an administrative leader someone that leads with because of a title as well if you always go to the command and control that's exhausting and it's also doesn't ensure that you really get good quality it only works yeah, with micromanagement and these kind of things. And it 
it's not for you as a leader and not for your team kind of sustainable over a longer period. It is tiring. I, I've never been a micromanager, and I, I, but I've worked for one or two micromanagers uh, and it's tiring. You, you feel like you're not trusted. You know, coming back to that word trust. Yes, I, I understand. I, I, I like the way you're putting that, you know, it's interesting. We, the command and control is almost a, is around trusting the power I have. It's the power I have is what's going to drive all these things. Actually flip it around. The power is in the trust. So it's not the, the, the power that drives everything. The trust is what drives everything here. And, and I think as you become a, a less micromanaging and you start to trust people, you give them the task or you talk through the task, then they then get out of their way. They're, they're the ones that know it best. You can, you can set the boundaries and you can talk about you know, the, the beginning, the end in mind again, but let them find the best way of doing it. Let them and, and leave them alone. And, and when they come to you, remove those barriers for them to help them remove those barriers, but let them get on with their work. And, and, and to me, the, you know, that's, that's a really important thing. Uh, you, you have to have that trust in other people. Not only do you, you know, trust is a combination. It's not just being trustworthy in yourself. It's also about trusting other people. So you can be trustworthy, but if you don't trust other people, you don't have trust. So you've got to trust people to get the to get the job done. Yeah, I'm just thinking about board scenes that I've um, read about recently. It's uh, where Jurgen Klopp, Liverpool coach, um, a Liverpool manager, kind of sends a very young player first time on on the field, don't know, minute number 80 or something like this, and says, "Have fun." If you don't succeed, it's my fault. Yeah. And of course he scores. Yeah. Which is kind of the icing of the cake. Yeah. But this is what, what, what you can really do as a, in this case, kind of a administrative leader. Trust your people to do it right. And, and, and then, you know, take the, make it easy for them. And, and if, and if they make mistakes, then, Ask them what they learn from that mistake. Don't don't admonish them for for making a mistake. I can't remember who came up with the the the, the term, but the, the but fail is an acronym for first attempt in learning. <laughs> and I, I I've read that somewhere. I can't remember who it is. But if you think of it that way, a failure is not the end. It's well, what did you learn from that? What what did you learn? And I mentioned yeah, we're, we're learning. Everybody should be learning. We're always learning throughout our lives. Again, and there's, there's there's other people that said the minute you stop learning, you're dead. Basically, you don't. You should learn for the rest of your life and continue that that learning development. And football recently, we, we, we've had the England team, women's team, win the the, the European Championships, and they asked the, uh, the the coach there, Serena Beekman, well, what did you do? And she just said, I just listened. I just talked. I just listened to them. And she's inspiring because she's let them get on with, with their job. She's not very shouty. She's, she's just listening. And I, I suspect Jurgen Klopp can be, can, can be quite shouty when he wants to be, but you don't get that sense that he's criticizing his players all the time. You get the sense he's mostly, mostly inspiring, sorry, I should say, inspiring his players. You now mentioned the word inspiring a couple of times. So, and I'm kind of can see 
you know, is the listener kind of thinking like, you want me to be inspiring? How do I inspire others? I think it's about, again, I'm going to use the word evangelize, but if, you, if you're a leader, evangelize your team. Talk about some of the good things that are happening. Learn about the world that surrounds you. Learn about the, the statistics world and just be a focus for them to, to listen to. You know, have a vision. Have a vision of what where, where you want to go. Have a vision of where you feel statistics is going. And keep reflecting on that. Keep reflecting. Well, you know, keep up to date with what the, what's happening in the statistics world. I think that that's how you be an inspiring leader. You don't be an inspiring leader by saying, I'm going to motivate you. I'm going to motivate you. You be an inspiring leader by, by, by coming out there and, and, and just being present, just being visible, just evan- like I'm going to use that word evangelize because I think it's a really important important word to use and an important thing to do. It creates that community. Even in a virtual hybrid sense, if you start evangelizing people, they feel part of that community. And people then feel inspired by you and they feel inspired to reach out to you and say, well, you know, can you give me some advice on this? Can you give me some advice on that? So it's all about what you do and how you show up it's how you show up in the world that the leaders or managers that come into the office and they they just sit in an office all day and not don't talk to people how inspiring are those compared to the leader that goes around the company and talks to everybody that talks to everybody within the company i, I remember reading a book this goes back to the 19 the 1990s john harvey jones when he was the chairman of ICI, he said, I, I, I'd come in every morning and I'd say hello to everybody. Uh, and not only that, this, this shows a bit of the age. In his suit jacket, he used to have a, a list of people's credentials and people's partners and things like that. And he, again, it, knowing about people, but, but also just being visible and present for everybody. Yeah. I think the other thing about inspiring is helps them see the bigger picture. Yeah. What do you really want to accomplish here? Yeah, that talks to the vision. How do they help with the overall thing? What is their value that they contribute? What's in and also what's in it for them? If they succeed here, what will they learn from? How are their next steps look like? How will they personally develop? Uh, that is so important. I think it's and that is actually where in the end motivation comes from. Yeah, you don't motivate others by giving them more money or whatever. I think for me, motivation is a very intrinsic thing. But as a leader, you can help people find their motivation. And by, by showing them kind of how it connects to the bigger picture, by giving them tasks where they can develop themselves, master their craft. And of course, by yeah, letting them do it yeah and not just be kind of all all the time on it yeah, it's this, it's this purpose mastery and autonomy that, that dan pink always talks about I, i think it's it's a brilliant kind of idea and there's a number of things coming up there for me which you you've just mentioned what again coming back to the seven habits you mentioned the beginning with the end in mind that's that's the, what the vision is uh you mentioned what's a, a win for them and we all should be a be looking out for win-win solutions you know what's a win for me and a win for them again like i say it links back to the seven habits uh the other thing that's coming up for me there is what we learning first learning coaching when we're, we're learning to be a coach one of the things we we're taught is that 
the person has the, the the answers within them, and that's one of the the back background. The one of the the fulcrums of, of coaching is that the person you're coaching has the answer within them. And I think if you start with that premise that the person that you're talking to is creative, resourceful, and whole, and has that answer within them, then you can be more inspirational. Uh, you don't start off with "I know best," and Again, this is one of the things that, that Jocko Willing talks about is ask for advice. And he, he also says you don't know everything and don't act like you know everything. Again, as a leader, you should never act like you know everything. Your team will find you out. They will find you out. And you'll look stupid once they do find you out. So yeah, never act like you know everything. And, and, and Completely and agree. That, that is, honestly, I think that is the biggest mistake you can do as a leader to think you know everything or you know a lot of things yeah i very often ask you know team members what do you think about this how should we do this and well you know how to do this and i said i know one way to do this exactly and maybe you know a better way to do it but if i say i want to do it this way you'll not come up with your approach, yeah? So I'm always interested in kind of learning, learning your perspective, yeah? And even though I might have one answer, it might not be the answer. Exactly. And it comes back to what we talked about earlier on. If, if somebody's going to a place and they meet an obstacle, well, my, my way might be to, to go that way through that obstacle. But what are the other ways to get there? So my way might come up with an obstacle. Well, then my way is no use. So, yeah. Uh, and again, coming back to the seven habits, you know, seek first to understand, then be understood. You know, understand what people are, are, are wanting to do and, and get there, get them to, to own the problem. And then once they've come up with their solution, they've owned the problem. And, and you might think, well, that solution is great. That's a fantastic solution. You probably will. It's been, and it, you then think to yourself, well, what have I learned here? And again, every conversation you have with, with your team, what have I learned here? That's another, another thing as a leader that you should always be thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that we wanted to cover in today's episode is how all this leadership links to the future of, of biostatistics. Can you expand a little bit on that one? That's a good question. It's one of the things I've been thinking about for a long time as we, we, we move away from command and control is how do, how do we become better leaders within statistics? And I think I've said this many, many times that we're all leaders. And we all should be thinking about what's the future of statistics. But I think people like myself can go out there and, and learn what's going on um, within our organization, within the pharmaceutical industry, within the statistics world. How do we bring those together? But not only just what, what I learned, but share things as well. You know, we're having this podcast, this podcast is going to be shared. It's, I, I, and, I, and people may disagree with what I'm, what I'm saying, but it's a learning thing. And I think that's what we should, you know, th th this whole leadership piece is around, where where are we going within statistics? You know, if we'd have taken statistics back 200 odd years, where would we have been? You know, I mean, even in my 30 years, we've gone from just looking at p-values, looking at confidence intervals. Again, let's look at what the 
what are the trends going forward in statistics? We hear a lot about machine learning, AI, data science. Um, that's not to dismiss what's going on, the, the bread and butter statistics. We all need the bread and butter statistics. But what are the new things that are coming up? What's going to move the bar? Uh, and a, a, again, it's going to come back to begin with the end in mind. You know, what are we trying to achieve by moving the bar? It's not just a, a, a question of moving the bar. I mean, estimates is obviously the big thing at the moment, but that to me is that, that that's current. Is there any new things going on estimates in the future? So, so I think as leaders, we can we can start to look at those trends. We can be uh, visionaries, futuristic about things. We can it, it could be a case of testing those visions as well. You know, if we see something, is there is there something we can learn? Um, I, I like to look at other or, other industries as well, and what are they doing in other industries? How statistics applied in various different uh, various different in industries, and is there something we can learn from that? So, I, it's, again, it's a long answer to a, a, a very short question, but I think it's multifaceted. I, I think there's, but I think leaders should be should be should try and be visionary. You know, the VAC leadership, the the visionary architect, catalyst coach. It starts with the vision. Again, it starts with the end in mind. It, it's the vision of where where I want where where we want to be. And honestly, I think the future could not be brighter for mm. us. Yeah, um, we have in all the different areas of the business more data than ever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and everybody tries to make better decision based on data across the business, whether that is in finance, in HR, in manufacturing, in sales, in marketing, all functions. All functions look into data. In my last company, I was doing data visualization training and I had data visualization training for, for procurement and for HR and all kinds of different areas. Yeah, our analytical skills, and I don't want to go into statistics versus data science discussion because I don't think that's specifically helpful. These are the things where we can have huge, huge impact. And we can deliver value to the overall organization. And with that, to patients in the end, because that's in the end what it's all about. It's helping patients. And I think we should be much more looking into how we can influence better decision-making based on data across uh, the organizations. Because someone will do it anyway. Yeah? Someone will, you know, create an Excel spreadsheet, whatsoever. Yeah? I think we should connect into these areas. And that's where kind of building relationships, building networks, being a leader is so, so important because in these areas, you can't command them to do it. Yeah. You don't have an SOP that you can say, well, by this SOP, you need to do it this way. You need to convince them. You need to invite them to do it the right way. Yeah. You need to reach out to them. You need to be visible. Yeah, as you said, they even, you know, many even don't know that there are statisticians out there in the co uh, company because let's be clear, you know, these companies are 
sometimes 100 times bigger than the stats organizations. Yeah. yeah. And so if they don't know you even exist, you'll never be called for help. And and you mentioned decision-making. That is a massive part of, of what we should be doing. And I recently spoke to the, the professional statistics of Nigeria on decision-making in the pharmaceutical industry. Because whether we like it or not, most of the time, statisticians are not the big decision-makers within organizations. And we have to develop relationship with those decision-makers to quantify how we're going to make the decision. It's not about the statistics being the, the overall, you know, people don't look at the statistics and say, well, that, that, that is the decision. It's more about influencing that decision. You mentioned that influence and decision, putting some, some light on what's the risk if we go forward with this. So it, it's all about quantifying some of those things. Like I say, we're not, never, we're not the, we, we can be the decision maker, but most of the time we're not the decision makers. So, but we can influence those decisions and we can have, we can give people a more informed decision and not just decision, but the risk of, of making that decision. I'd like to add one word to your sentence there. Many statisticians are not decision makers yet. Yet. That's a good point. Yeah. Why shouldn't statisticians be head of R&D? Why shouldn't statisticians be CEO? Yeah. At Lily, a statistician climbed up to be the chief information officer and that not just included IT, that it included also advanced analytics and these kind of areas. Yeah. So I think we should get rid from rid of this kind of thinking that we'll always stay within our statistics area. And maybe, you know, there's a couple of weird people that leave that area. Yeah. And and but why not? I think the, the only barrier that we have is there in our mind. And the other barrier is that we have is in developing all our leadership skills, because this is exactly what will bring us into these these organizations and these higher higher spheres. And I love your your aspect. Why not? Yeah, I, I, I you're right. Within Lily, somebody get arrives that within Genentech, we've had statisticians reach higher positions as well. So absolutely right why why not and in fact in our china product development that the lead is a statistician so it is possible we may have to like you said learn a few more leadership skills we may have to get out of that that mindset that we can never be those leaders but there's no reason why we, we can't climb to those heights yeah Thanks so much. That was an awesome discussion. It was actually a little bit longer than initially attended, but it was so, so cool. And I kind of have a feel like there's so many kind of ends we opened <laughs> that we need to have some kind of follow-up discussion. And um, for sure, we'll put a list of all the books that we mentioned into the show notes. So quite a few that, that we connected and and. All of them are actually really, really valuable for reading. And um, yeah, have a look into this. Thanks so much, Alan. Any kind of final point you would like to, to leave the listener with? My, my only point is, if you are becoming a leader, focus on trust. Focus on trust, being trustworthy and trusting. And focus on those two aspects and you'll become a fantastic leader. 
So thank you very much, Alexander, for the conversation. Enjoyed it immensely. This show was created in association with PSI and think about submitting an abstract for next year's PSI conference. Thanks to Rain and her team at VVS who helped with the show in the background and thank you for listening. Don't forget to check the Winning with Words and Graphs Masterclass of the Effective Statistician. Reach your potential, read great science and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.